This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. This year has seen the loss of prominent disability activists across North America. David Onley passed away in January. Judy Human died two months later. Earlier this month, Stephen Esty from Newfoundland and Labrador passed away. Stephen was a longtime member of the Council of Canadians with Disabilities. Rabia Khadar is an activist herself. Rabia is the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. Hello, Rabia. Hello. So let's start with Stephen Esty. What are your reflections on his contribution to the movement in Canada? Well, again, like uh, David Onley, Stephen has decades of contributions for advocating for the rights of people with disabilities, uh, starting out, you know, from coast to coast to coast and globally. He contributed through uh, NEEDS, the National Educational Association of Disabled Students, and then through the Canadian Council on Disability and played an integral leadership role on behalf of Canadians in the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and ongoing advancements of disability rights in this country and across the globe. So he's a tremendous loss to the community. Rabia, it really feels like an entire generation of amazing activists are unfortunately leaving us. But what does that represent for a new generation? What opportunities does that present for a new generation of leaders inside the disability community? Well, the loss is, is tremendous, and, and, and the list just continues on from Sandra Carpenter to David Olney, people that I considered mentors and allies and mm. people in positions of power who lifted racialized people with disabilities like me up into spaces of power. This is a tremendous opportunity if we invest in it in terms of cultivating the next generation of leaders from diverse communities who have not been effectively given space in the national disability discourse in this country. Yeah, the, a more diverse disability movement, a greater intersectional disability movement is going to be essential in the new generation. What do you think a more wholesome, intersectional, diverse disability advocacy community can bring to the table? Again, you know, corporate Canada's figured out that diversity is a business advantage. The more people you have with different lived experiences, the more robust your strategies, your plans. And I think we can do wonders on accessibility and inclusion if we truly wholeheartedly adopt an approach of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. And oftentimes, we compartmentalize accessibility as this standalone approach in systems, 
as opposed to an intersectional approach. It's about time that we bring everything together. And as racialized people with disabilities, we're ready to raise our voice and put our hands in and do the hard work to support that kind of systems change where everybody benefits. We reduce greater systemic barriers and create a more inclusive society for everyone where Mm. every disabled person belongs. Not to be too inward-looking about this, but I this show a couple of years ago had its own reckoning and realized we need to be part of the solution on this as well, right? And I don't want to pat myself on the back or be too inward-looking or think of myself <laughs> as some kind of white savior, but we took the time to say we want to build a more diverse disability team across our production, and we've, we're, we're striving for that. But what do you think other organizations and other groups can do? And again, even looking inward, here, more broadly speaking, what can organizations do to ensure those voices are included? Again, they need to have a comprehensive equity strategy. They need to invest in that strategy. Often what happens in the nonprofit sector and the broader public sector is diversity is an add-on when you have extra pocket change. There isn't a dedicated budget line. So there are one-off workshops and lunch and learns or conferences that people attend. But there isn't an ongoing lifelong learning strategy applied to, to systems change to ensure equity throughout the organization, from the people we support and serve or engage to the people we hire and retain and promote and put in leadership. It has to be a part of an organization's overarching strategic plan to be fully inclusive of everybody and not just do window dressing through, you know, the samosas and the cultural days and the cultural outfits and and all that kind of lovely recognition potlucks. It really has to be a wholesome and substantive strategy that that is reflected throughout the organization Mm -hmm. and it's a win-win for everybody oh 100 percent for sure for sure inclusion is something that's right on the wall all over this office and i look at that i look at that every single day whenever i'm thinking about uh, what we're doing and what we're talking about and what we're trying to accomplish with the show rubia i want to sort of circle back here to the notion of the new generation this new generation of leaders that are emerging in the community what do you think some of the big disability related issues are like are going to be in terms of priority because when you talk about maybe that last generation or the old school generation they were literally fighting for everything right built environment poverty and these are still big time issues facing the community but to your mind what are some of the things the new generation is going to be tackling Again, they're going to be combating poverty, which is deeper and deeper for disabled people today. They're going to be, you know, battling ableism and ableist approaches and and medical model approaches uh, to disability that have not gone away. We see that reflected in medical assistance in dying legislation, for example, a little bit controversial among people, but for many diverse communities, there's a huge conflict with with that kind of value applied to disabled people in terms of just, you know, 
life and death and quality of life. So they're going to be battling greater systems change. Things have changed, and yet things remain the same, and yet things have worsened. Yeah, it's one of these moments where progress is not always linear. It's also incremental. So when it's not always linear and it's incremental, it can get really messy and there can be backsliding without even understanding it. Rabia, you mentioned poverty. Now, obviously, you are a huge part of the Disability Without Poverty organization. You're spending a lot of time working on the National Disability Benefit. And you've got a campaign going right now, the Budget the Benefit postcard campaign. What are you hoping for how can people get involved with this? What are the details on the budget, the benefit uh, campaign? Well, we have the law on the books for the Canada Disability Benefit. There's a co-creation consultation process kind of sort of happening that is understated uh, in terms of the approach that was committed and promised in the legislation. The legislation took quite a while to get through the system to royal assent because there were improvements made by parliamentarians on all sides of the House. And now it's time to hold the government's feet to the fire to ensure that there is a robust engagement process with people with lived experience central to the design and implementation of this benefit. That's what we're challenged with today. And the Budget the Benefit campaign is basically calling on government to put their money where their mouth is. The law on the books isn't good enough. We need a dollar figure attached. So there's a national postcard campaign and people can get hard copy postcards through Disability Without Poverty. If they have networks that they want to distribute them to, they can take part in our digital postcard campaign through Disability Without Rabia, along those lines, I don't know what you're allowed to reveal here, but where are you right now? What are you up to today? I am in a Senate building on Parliament Hill having these very conversations with our lawmakers dedicated to improving quality of life of Canadians with disabilities living in poverty. We're here to remind them that there's a lot more work to be done. Although we have the law, We need to now truly center people with lived experience in the regulatory process, and we still need to fast-track this benefit. Now we are hearing that people aren't going to see the benefit rollout until maybe June 2025. That is not what we were promised. That's not what we expected. Poverty needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed now by budgeting the benefit and giving people with disabilities hope that they can have a life of dignity in 2024. So we are calling on the finance minister to budget an adequate benefit and to budget it now. And we're calling on the system to involve disabled people in creating the rules and the policies and procedures that need to be created in order to get the money to the people who need it most, ASAP. The urgency is so, so clear. Rabia, you are the newest contributor on this show. I am delighted to continue this conversation with you every couple of weeks. Good luck today with your advocacy and keep up all the great work with the organization. Thank you, Dave. I'm really looking forward to this. That's Rabia Khader.
Rubia is the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. In 60 Seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index gave back two-thirds of a percent yesterday, despite strength in energy stocks as the price of oil climbed higher. Toronto's TSX index lost 120 points to 19,435. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 68 points and the Nasdaq added 29. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index tumbled 499 points or one and a half percent on looming worries about China property woes. And our dollar is trading over Sees this morning at 74.01 cents U.S. A new report from Deloitte Canada suggests the economy's near-term struggles will ease next year as the Bank of Canada begins cutting its key lending rate. The report estimates GDP will rise 1% this year and 0.9% the next. It predicts the central bank will start lowering interest rates next spring, eventually bringing its key rate to 3% by mid-2025. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Alex Smythe is standing by with a good news weather story. Alex, it's shaping up to be a nice weekend in these uh, Toronto neck of the woods. Yeah, Dave. So obviously the major stories continue to be the wet systems out in BC and then the lack of rain elsewhere within the country, especially in Ontario in Quebec. But instead of focusing on a bit more of those negative stories, I want to look at a bit of the positive and do a look ahead to the Yeah, weekend. sunshine, rainbows, Sun- love it. Sunshine, rainbows and warm weather, Dave. So for the Golden Horseshoe of Ontario, you're going to be expecting some beautiful conditions this weekend. So Friday and Saturday look to be mid to high 20s and sunshine. So be sure to get out to enjoy the weekend. And that gorgeous weather is set to continue all the way to Thanksgiving if the forecasts hold up. And if they do, Dave, this would be setting records for the start of October. For Toronto and the GTA, if the they're currently predicting 25 degrees as an average that would be the warmest it's been since 1900 in 1900 with the previous record at 24 and a half degrees this would beat it at 25 degrees so if you want some if you're enjoying this warm weather you want to hold off a bit on the fall conditions This is good news for you. Get out, enjoy. (laughs) The next uh, little while is going to be beautiful weather for GTA and and Golden Horse. It's it's good news depending on your perspective, Alex. As I've told you many, many times, I run uh, quite hot. And I'm off to Mm -hmm. a wedding this weekend in southern Ontario and southwest Ontario in the community of Brussels, not far from uh, Blythe, Ontario. My first ever time in that neck of the woods. So I've got to wear a suit on Saturday. So I don't know if I'm feeling so great about uh, 25 degrees while I'm rocking my suit. We might be looking at an open collar kind of Saturday here. Yeah, Dave, you know, I actually have a wedding myself on the Saturday in Hamilton. So I'm going to be feeling that pinch a bit with you. I may have to, I'm definitely wearing a white shirt to to hide sweat. That's (laughs) going to be a, a key. So it's all about strategy when you're dressing for the wedding. Yeah, <laughs> open collar. I mean, listen, I, I I think I'm at this point where I'm old enough that I can get away without wearing a tie at weddings, but also I still feel guilty about it. I, I don't know what's wrong with me internally. 
Well, there, there's something to be said, you know, depending on the relationship, too. You want to look good. You want to be formal. You don't want to be viewed upon as dressing down for their event. You want to show that you're committed. You're, you want to be uh, respectful of the, uh, the bride and groom's big day. So, yeah, you know, I, I get it completely. Yeah, my cousin's wedding, I kind of did the reverse. I wore a tie, but I went no jacket. I went, I went these like stunning red khaki pants with a white shirt and a nice red tie with the tie clip and my silly uh, straw hat, but no jacket. That was the move that I pulled. But I think this weekend I might flip that, go no tie, but do the jacket and the suit pants. There you go, Dave. And you know, you, you should start doing some fashion advice oh, segments. Yeah. I, I feel oh, we yeah. would love that... to get some, <laughs> some guy's fashion from Dave Brown. <laughs> How many hoodies can you wear at one time? What is the finest type of cargo short to make mm. your way through the uh, community? Are there such a thing as formal cargo shorts? These are the questions that will be asked in Fashion Time with Dave Brown. Alex, thank you for this. Coming up after the break, the Vancouver International Film Festival kicks off today. Today, community reporter Nathan Clement will have the details. So they call Toronto's film festival TIFF. I wonder if they call Vancouver's VIF. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.